Hello, everybody. Dan here. We haven't had that many technical issues with our show. However, we did lose the audio with Vasily Mateos' podcast. So it may be a little different listening, but it is worth the listen. It's actually one of my favorite guests on. Uh, great conversation. He's got a really good story, and they run an amazing business over there. So uh, listen to his story, and thanks again for listening. Hello, everybody. This is the Winning in Winnipeg podcast, where we talk to top performing business owners, executives, entrepreneurs, and local Winnipeg celebrities. We get to learn who they are, how they think, and we get to hear their perspective about what's really going on in Winnipeg and their business. Vasily Matteos is the founder and principal of Amphora Architecture, a Winnipeg-based team of architects, interior designers, and design professionals. Vasily received his Master in Architecture degree from Harvard University's Graduate School of Design, where he studied as a Frank Knox Fellow under many of the world's foremost design educators and practitioners. His design experience is both extensive and international, having worked on multiple high-rise projects across three continents, New York City's Hudson Yards, Moynihan Train Hall, and other projects including work on offices, retail, schools, post-secondary, multifamily, hotels, and gaming facilities. Do you listen to podcasts at all? Well, yeah, I, I love Tim Ferriss. Uh, and I used to be a serial uh, Tim Ferriss podcast addict. I, I fell off the last little while, but... I, Do you think it's because they're four hours long? Uh, <laughs> That's a huge commitment. Yeah, you know, I mean... I think they started short, didn't they? Weren't they like 40 minutes? I remember some, because I used to listen too. Yeah. But then some got like three hours. Yeah. Four hours long. It's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah. And and actually, like a lot of things, it kind of, um, sometimes the volume of podcasts almost becomes too much of a commitment. Like if you're a bit of a perfectionist, it's like, oh man, I gotta like catch up or Mm -hmm. I missed a whole bunch of them. I, I must be a bad Tim Ferriss fan. Mm-hmm. The worst, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he did point you out on there. I'm <laughs> sorry. You missed that one, though. So that's fine. <laughs> so, self-flagellating here. It um, is. Yeah. Um, and wrecking the mic setup here. You're actually the first architect that I've had on here, believe it or not. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That, that's, it's an honor. I know. I've been chasing you for a while. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I finally made it over here. It's perfect. Yeah. Like it, it worked out really well. So... Um, I, I suppose the big thing is I would like everyone to kind of hear who you are, Mm -hmm. uh, how you came to be a little background, a little origin story on you. Okay. Uh, however deep you go or, or shallow you go, I'll just keep on digging and we can go from there. (laughs) No problem. Okay. So this, I guess this is kind of a formal intro. Yeah, uh, you don't really need to introduce yourself because I'll do that. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Just how, how... How did you let? Were you born, raised Winnipeg? Yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, I was born in Winnipeg. Uh, parents uh, immigrated from Greece in the '60s and '70s. Uh, so yeah, I grew up here. Lived uh, my you know first part of my adult life here. Uh, I moved out to the states for a bit for school and the beginning of my career, and then I circled back, and and here I am back in Winnipeg, uh, enjoying it. So you came back to Winnipeg. I came you got back. out. Yeah. And it sucked you back in yeah i kind of made it my mission to get out of winnipeg uh it was uh partly um 
kind of just wanting to get out of the house, right? And just exploring the world and seeing what was out there. And How then, old were you? Uh, I was uh, 22 uh, when I moved out. I, I got a scholarship to go to grad school. Uh, it was so kind of like the perfect excuse to move out of the house and uh, you know be my own independent adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I lived on the East Coast for like a total of six years between school and, and starting to work. I nice. uh, got, got burnt out uh, a little bit, came back and um, realized that Winnipeg is kind of like this VIP gem of a city that not too many people know about. So, so I was in, I was in Boston and then I was in New York city and um, you know, Boston is a very livable city, uh, but New York is really rough. Uh, it is uh uh, you know, there's a ton of competition. I, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, I couldn't kind of cut it out there, but uh, a lot of things were just kind of a pain in the butt, uh, you know, to do. Uh, you know, I, I'd come back uh, here and there uh, for holidays and visit my uh, family and kind of look at how my siblings were living and how my friends were living. It's like, wait a minute. What's going on here? You don't hate everyone outside? That's right, yeah. And like, you know, everyone's just kind of laid back here. And uh, not only that, they it time to do, you know, extracurricular activities and time to like, you know, raise kids and, and follow their hobbies and sort of, you know, just like pursue their interests. And it was something that just seemed really alien to me. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so, you know, just to kind of go back, I was, yeah, I was in New York working at SOM, which is... Uh, uh, Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, that, uh, you know, about SOM, right? The, the Burj Khalifa World Trade Center, a lot of iconic towers. It was just yeah. where I wanted to be uh, after grad school. Like, to me, that was just like the, the crown jewel of architecture firms uh, mm-hmm. on the planet. And and it was freaking cool. I was uh, I, I was on Wall Street, uh, 14 Wall Street, which is across the street from the stock exchange. And you saw, you know, like the, the stockbrokers kind of uh, getting really frustrated as they're you know pushing you know European tourists out of the way who are taking photos of the big flags and uh, and, and back then that was 2006 um, uh, there was still a lot of 9/11 uh, carryover so right. um, big scary uh, guys in body armor and helmets sometimes and the big guns and remember you know eating a sandwich on uh, things the steps of Federal Hall which is like a version of the Parthenon uh, on Wall Street. You know, eating some sandwiches with some workmates and there's a guy with a big freaking gun behind us and so it was just a very weird uh place and uh, like i said uh you know it was super fulfilling and, and the architecture i mean it doesn't get any bigger or cooler than that uh but uh i um i don't know i kind of uh i i like it here it's uh it's a very human place to be it's a different lifestyle isn't it yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So, what do you um, what do you think the biggest differences are in in between? Well, you said Boston, New mm-hmm. York, Winnipeg. Yeah, clearly there's a we you know there's a palpable difference between New York and Winnipeg. Tell me about Boston. Uh, Boston's a cool city. Uh, actually, Boston's funny because and it's for sure changed since I left. Uh, it, uh, it, it always, even though it's a really large city, um, you know, if it were in Canada, I don't know if it would be, you know, the size of Toronto or close to that or bigger. I'm not really sure. I guess it all depends on, you know, where you draw the boundary. Like, it's, you know, the, sense, the metropolitan area versus surrounding. The, yeah, urban agglomeration. Right, yeah, yeah. Kind of more of an art than a science, right? Yeah. Uh, 
So, however, it, it seemed like Boston was always kind of like, well, we're not New York, you know, and, and, and then the, the joke at the time was, you know, people from New York didn't even know that Boston existed, but, you know, you were in Boston and you were, you know, mm-hmm. excited to get on back then. It was the Chinatown bus, you know, you go from Chinatown to Chinatown. That was a, that was a common, um, uh, fun thing to do on a weekend to, you know, get on the bus for four hours and, and go to New York for, you know, like a day or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so. I don't think many people from New York were coming to Boston for the weekend, right? But, yeah. uh, but just uh, like really rooted in history, you know, it's like 1600s and, and before. So you're, you know, like you're kind of almost scratching Middle Ages at that point. I, I know I'm getting that completely wrong, but uh, definitely, you know, a few centuries uh, older than, than mm-hmm. this part of the world. Uh, what about the people? How, how dealing with the people in between New York and Boston? Yeah, yeah, man, you're you're making me think here, uh, and you know, digging digging through this yeah, like, yeah. You know, like blow the cobwebs off of this like memory chest here. Um, I mean, I I did spend most of my time around other students and faculty when I was in Boston uh, at school. Um, a lot of kids, I guess they're kids now because they're in their twenties. I thought we were all really grown up back then, uh, but uh, from, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, from from around the world, so. Uh, Boston seemed like a, just a very knowledgeable city. Like there were just so many people who were there, um, you know, just like there are dozens of universities there, um, lots of research, healthcare, like it's just kind of a knowledge based place. And you, and you got the sense that a lot of people that you bumped into were just like, you know, they're like, um, uh, just knew a lot about, uh, stuff. I, that was just kind of like an intuitive thing. I mm. felt it was a very intelligent city. Um, New York was kind of, uh, you know, it attracted a lot of ambitious people, but it also had, you know, like a lot of ordinary people just, you know, living there. And just, you know, New York is strange because it is, you know, we think about it as the richest city, right, in North America, but it covers the full spectrum right so it's it's also the dumpiest place it's got the best and it's got the worst and everything in between and everything on that spectrum in very large quantities to the point where see like in winnipeg you're kind of here you you can have the whole city in your head you sort of know where all the neighborhoods are you've probably been on that street Um, so that was something that was kind of new for me to be in a place where i knew like even if i lived here a lifetime i probably wouldn't ever know this whole city right, right. So yeah. that, that was kind of terrifying a little bit and, and interesting and then yeah. you know of course you kind of you scale out and you realize the whole world is like that uh so mm-hmm. um it's like a f- uh, famous uh i think it was like a new yorker uh, cover at some point had you know the world according to new yorkers and it was basically just the city <laughs> there's there's nothing past it yes yeah. so overwhelming i've heard that multiple yeah, times yeah yeah there's really nothing beyond that. I'm taking up all the air here, Dan. <laughs> this is not my show. <laughs> this is a silly show right now. Uh, so you came back to Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, did you did you start Amphora right away? No. Did you work for someone? What happened? There? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I came. I, I worked. Uh, I was at Number Ten uh, okay. for almost five years. Okay. Uh, I, I learned a ton uh, while I was there, uh, and I, I you know became an architect uh, while I was there, and. Uh, it was, um, yeah, you know, a number of circumstances led me to uh, striking it out on my own mm-hmm. and I haven't looked back. 
Did you have any other jobs before going to architecture school or in, in the interim? Uh, worked for my parents at their, uh, at their restaurant. We so, were, uh, uh, so like I would say maybe 90% of, uh, second generation, like, you know, born here, Greek Canadian kids in Winnipeg, uh, family was in the restaurant business. Yeah. Uh, so my parents had a place, um, in Headingley just past the racetrack. It was called Steve and Nikki's. It used to be called Dairy King way, way back. Okay. Uh, might have been some car copyright infringement. I don't know how that, you know, what exactly led to that. that. Yeah, 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 it was kind of a dark part of the history, you know, but, but seriously, it was, um, you know, like a classic uh, greasy spoon. And uh, it, like a lot of the, you know, gem burger places in town, it had, you know, the fat boy, we called it the, the King Special, but it's, you know, the same thing with the Greek chili and the, you know, goopy mayo and heaping portions. And That's stuff. amazing. Yeah, yeah, breakfast and, yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but it was, um, I kind of like, that was an education in itself. Cause, uh, my parents put me to work when I was 11. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, you know, serving tables, washing dishes, uh, you know, taking cash, um, you know, uh, working on the grill and, you know, kind of, I hated it at one point and then I kind of like really liked it, uh, towards uh like the the end of my stint when i was 22 because it was kind of fun it was fun like uh, meeting people and seeing the same people over and over again yeah you know having uh, just stuff in common with random people yeah i think everyone should have to work in a restaurant at least once at at least interacting with people you didn't learn how to talk to people read people yeah like that's a big one right yeah and actually it's interesting because i mean i think there were like some some stressful situations that happened that uh, I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise, you know, at school, like just, uh, and, and, and just being like, well, what, what just happened? Like, you know, it's, it's like random stuff that would happen with people who came in and, and, and then just thinking about it, going like, wow, like nobody, I didn't know how to handle that or what happened. And I, yeah. So uh, the kind of like on the spotness, mm-hmm of like the restaurant world is uh yeah it's 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 good training it's um and then feeling uh, i'm sure most of your audience is from winnipeg and i i'm just knowing people here it seems like most people in winnipeg you know have worked at a restaurant at some point so maybe it kind of preaches the choir uh but um all three people in the audience yeah yeah, yeah no, they're 350 gajillion um we're getting, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, there, um, you know, you, you have situations where things are actually out of control. It's like, you're, you're, you're like, like you're maxed out. Like there's actually no way you're going to do these seven things now. Like you're, you're kind of like you're blue screening. And I remember there was like moments where it's like, this is a blue screen moment. Like I don't know what to do. And then, um, that skill of being able to kind of reboot during a blue screen and just sort of figuring out how to get an impossible situation uh, cleared up or, you know, mm-hmm. and then being okay with the fallout uh, yeah. that ensued. Yeah. Uh, well, even making mistakes, right? Yeah. You, you didn't prioritize properly and now That's mom, right. mom and dad have to talk to you. Yep. Whether it's an employer or your parents or anything like that. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Like I, uh, I actually worked in a Greek restaurant. Okay. Oh, yeah, All right. I was in high school. All right. Cut the tip of my finger off. 
Did you? Yeah, it prevented me from doing my grade eight piano exam. Okay, and that wasn't on purpose at all. Well, I, I maybe subconsciously, but no, didn't plan on it. <laughs> so yeah, looks it okay a, though. Yeah, it grew back, but okay. now it now it really actually it hurts to play guitar. So so what did you do? I was uh, kind of? I was a I was a prep. Okay. In the back, okay. I was the dishwasher prep cook. Okay. And uh, I was chopping up lettuce. That's hilarious. Yeah. Because I sliced my thumb open cutting lettuce. Mm. The, my left thumb. I've got stitches here. That is that is go so to Greek restaurant injury. We are connected. I, I think uh, so. On, on some other dimension, which okay. is hilarious because I remember telling a cousin of mine, you know, it had just happened. Uh, uh, one of my first cousins, and she kind of like looked at me funny. She's like, "You don't freaking cut lettuce." You just kind of like smush it on the board and the, you know, the bottom part kind of comes out and you rip the pieces. What were you cutting lettuce for? It's like, damn. <laughs> you know, I think uh, I was young and uh, I think that was one of my first, that was one, uh, definitely one of my first jobs. We delivered papers from a very early age. Okay. Like before, before in elementary school, before going to school, mm -hmm. we used to get up at like six in the morning and go deliver papers. I remember hating it. That's awesome discipline. Oh yeah, my yeah. parents pushed that uh -huh. huge. And I never really thought about it until, you know, either I think about my kids or I think about when I hear people talk about their early jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And actually what's kind of formed them. Like it's really neat. I bet you learn an incredible amount from your parents um, pushing that. Now, um, so tell me, tell me, when you when you started Amphora, we'll we'll get into the mindset of starting mm -hmm. your own thing. But mm -hmm. tell me about Amphora a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, so like the elevator speech that I uh, keep like you know having to redo in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, you have all the time. It's not thirty seconds. That though. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're a group. Uh, we're a group here based in Winnipeg. We've got uh, architects, interior designers, some support staff, uh, and we. Um, we design stuff. We we design interiors. We design parts of buildings, and we design full buildings. Uh, we um, we've been working a lot more lately uh, in the private sector uh, for business owners uh, that are you know kind of like me, uh, professional service providers, uh, and. Uh, it's interesting because most people, I think, don't really know what architects do. Like, they have an idea of what an architect does. You know, just kind of create some stuff on a piece of paper and things sort of magically come together. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's funny because it's it's almost like that part of the sentence, you know, things magically come together. Like, that's kind of what we do. We, we, we are, you know, part of any kind of building project really from inception to like literally final sign off because it's our final sign off that kind of ends the thing legally yeah. uh and uh yeah there's like a lot to talk about but what we do and uh you know when you go into architecture school you're doing um kind of doing art projects and you're writing essays you you, you learn how to write really well and you you learn about history and you learn how to uh try to overcome those blue screen moments again, the you know, like studio projects. There used to be a show called Project Runway. Uh, actually now they've got uh, like, you know, Greatest Chef and all that kind of stuff. That's basically like architecture school in a nutshell, but you know, you use like glue and, and knives and now, now it's like laser cutters and 3D printers and stuff. But you're, you know, you're working all night, uh, not getting enough sleep by yourself with no help. 
Because if you get help, it's cheating. Uh, and then uh, with no sleep, you, you know, kind of stumble through what's usually like a really crappy presentation because it would have been so much better if you had you know, uh, just paced yourself better. And, uh, and then you go from there, uh, you know, super creative, open-minded education, and you get thrown into this real world and you're dealing with like, you know, like building codes and like actual construction. And it's freaky because like, it's like, wait, what? What just happened? You know, and, and you're moving uh, toilets around and dim dimensioning stuff and you're, you're working on these big scary drawings that look nothing like what you did in school. Yeah. And I think a lot of professions have this kind of general thing in common where there's uh, there's the schoolwork and then there's the like, gap right yeah. in between. Yeah. The technical knowledge of it and the actual experience. Exactly. And then, so for us, it's kind of built into the system because they've got an internship. So you do X amount of hours uh, and then you write your exams. So like by the time you finish your internship and you write your exams, um, you know, you, you've kind of seen enough of it that, you know, you've taken enough bruises that uh, society deems you to be... Uh, We've beat them up enough. Yeah, yeah. This guy's kind of okay to practice on his own. Mm -hmm. It was basically what it is. He didn't die, quit, or kill yeah. anyone. That's right. So. Yeah, and, and he will continue to make sure that he doesn't kill anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's, his work. that's a plus. Uh, you yeah. know, like acting ethically and professionally, uh -huh. and, and um, worrying about stuff like that's. So I guess going back to when I started Amphora, I mean, I, I had some really cool experience going into it, uh, working on, you know, conceptually. Um, like a seven-star hotel and uh, Moynihan Station, which is uh, basically uh, a reconstruction of Penn Station uh, in what's called the James Farley uh, Post Office. Actually, so, so Moynihan Station just opened, I think it was last year, and I was working on that in like 2006. So, you know, like the scale of the project wow. there was just amazing. So, uh, you know, so... Got a lot of first-hand knowledge on mega projects, uh, you know, at the front end of things and a little bit into the technical drawings. And then here practicing, you know, kind of went through, actually saw projects go from beginning, middle to end, beginning, middle end, beginning, middle end, yeah. uh, which were like big projects uh, at a Winnipeg scale. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, diving into the deep end on my own, <laughs> there was still kind of like a, uh, a lot of kind of scary moments at the beginning saying, Man, I, I don't have anybody to talk to. I gotta figure this all out on my own. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't just like, you know, pull somebody in and have them sort of hold my hand and like mentor me. Like the mentoring's over, man. And yep. so, uh, so the first project I did on my own, it was uh, like the steepest learning curve ever. And I, I got out of it, and it's like, man, this thing like this worked out, it's, this is a, a success. Mm -hmm. And uh, and after that, you know, the confidence just kind of keeps building and building. And, um, uh, you know, you, you kind of like worry less, but your brain is still trained to not necessarily worry all the time, but just kind of make sure you thought about everything you should have thought about. So. Processes. Yeah, to a point where you almost don't even think you're doing it. You're just kind of like asking all these random questions and you're just like, okay, okay, so that's good. I, I covered that. Perfect. Yeah. It's, um, tell me what the mindset of, of working at a firm and then maybe either having an aha moment or falling and hitting your head and becoming a crazy business owner slash entrepreneur. Uh, 
how did that tell me like what did that what prompted it and then really where did you find and i'll use the word courage to do it because it's not easy and it's not easy not to fail and or quit yeah um take me through that yeah uh so <laughs> I guess I'll start with uh, going from having like a, a job where you work with family to like a job at a school where you're dealing with people who don't unconditionally love you. Um, you know, that's really rough when you realize like, you know, you're uh, kind of on your own. Uh, and so that was kind of like the first little aha moment for me. It's like, oh, geez, like I, you know, I better behave, right? Like, that's real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're not, you know, we're not going to like hug it out in the end. Right. Um, and, and I learned that, you know, working, um, you know, at other people's offices, right. You're kind of, you're at the mercy always of, uh, of, uh, the strength of your relationships with people. Right. I mean, I guess that's the case now still, uh, but that was sort of the, uh, working at an office as an employee, right. You started appreciating that, that, you know, you've, you've got to maintain strong relationships if you know if you're going to stick around if you want to get anything done if you want to get anything yeah. done yeah. exactly if people are going to help you uh and i mean that's even more important than ever now uh what was the question again ben <laughs> really like <laughs> how did you become crazy enough to want to start your own thing yeah right um i always kind of visualize myself as doing my own thing beautiful uh yeah like as a little kid okay um, uh, the, uh, uh, I guess the delusions of grandeur kind of, you know, slowly fade, uh, you know, as the years click on. So, um, you know, as a kid, uh, I kind of thought I was going to be the master of the universe. Uh, and, and now I'm just going to be really happy being like a really great architect in Winnipeg. Uh, and, and, and I think that that's awesome now. Um, you still could become master of the universe. Though. Yeah, like, you know, you got time. When I close my eyes, uh, I, I can go there uh, anytime. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, what made me want to do that? I think I always wanted to do that. Whether it was going to be like a firm that I was working at to you know kind of move up, or you know just take the bull by the horns and, mm -hmm. and just do it on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, there's something romantic about you know doing it the cowboy way and just just kind of throwing everything you have at it because it's almost like up until that moment, uh, if I was able to just kind of throw everything I had, uh, you know, something great would happen. And running a business is like where you realize like, wow, like the world is like really like, um, uh, there are a lot of, uh, knives getting thrown at you and, uh, you you landmines are really hard. tough. Yeah. And, and so, uh, never like a lack of desire, but holy man, a lot of, uh, moments where you're like, what am I even doing here? Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think the biggest challenge, you know, even, so I'm on like year 10, I guess I've, I've completed like nine years at Amphora. Uh, yeah. it was like March 1st, 2013. It was like when, you know, officially, uh, went, uh, open, open shop. Beautiful. Um, there's, um, when you're kind of small at the beginning and you're just by yourself, uh, you don't have enough time to do everything. You realize that actually in order to just kind of stay open, you have to be doing like a few jobs simultaneously. And then that can be frustrating. And then 
uh, kind of growing out of that, that's where all like the little aha moments uh, show up. Mm -hmm. And then if you can kind of figure out like who's a good person to work with, how to delegate stuff. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of times where like you did everything perfectly and there's some external thing out of your control. And I think it's common in our field too, where it's like, you know, the project just didn't happen. Uh, something just didn't get approved. Uh, so also sort of learning to live with that and, and hedge those things and have many things going at any given time so that, you know, the thing is just moving forward on its own. Um, you know, there's no one aha moment. It's kind of like, like, like I, I, I just kill my wife like almost every day. It's like, hey, I've got an idea. She's like, you got an idea again? Yeah. And then, you know, there's, there's some, literally something new to talk about every day for like nine years, 10 years. Like that's how freaking vast uh, this like universe of running your own business is. It's mm -hmm. like, it doesn't get old. You're still learning stuff. I think that's kind of one of the major differences between sort of working somewhere else. Uh, you could actually get bored. Uh, and I think a lot of people do get bored. And I certainly got bored uh, for a bit. Um, but you, uh, not, not because the place wasn't interesting and the you know, projects weren't interesting. It's just, um, uh, you know, sometimes people um, get bored. And when you're on your own, you, you can't get bored. Bored. You'll, you'll too many problems to you will, you'll get scared before you get bored yeah, yeah. so jumping in um, uh, starting out the one thing I really like about the podcast is it kind of it kind of wherever people are in their life so whether it's somebody that's ready to go to architecture school um, you know I had a friend reach out and say hey my my, my son's thinking about architecture what do you think mm -hmm. and then we kind of dove into his strengths and and he's very, he's mathematical mm -hmm. and artistic and creative. Awesome. I was like, well, sounds like a smart guy. That sounds, you know, pretty good. Maybe yeah. you should explore it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it could be, you know, somebody working at another firm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've, they've seen you or they, they're thinking about starting their own and just kind of wh wherever they are, they can kind of relate. So mm -hmm. what was, um, you started up, what do you think the hardest, the, the biggest challenge was right when you opened up? Uh, was it getting the jobs? Was it, you know, building the back end, the admin, the processes? What was it? I, I think at the beginning it was, um, it's funny because the jobs were kind of coming. I was, you know, um, I was doing stuff that I wouldn't do now, like, you know, just the cold calling, like random places. It was kind of funny. It was, uh, so, but, but, Hi, you need an architect? Yeah, yeah, it was like literally that so easy. Good. Hey, you guys built stuff sometimes, right? No? Oh, you never have? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, those, those tactics uh, don't work. It's, um, but the most difficult things were I think it's kind of like a mental thing um, to be like, I guess for me, everybody's got a different story, but for me, I felt like, uh, okay, so I finished, uh, you know, I, I did a degree, uh, went to Harvard, I got to study under like all these like fabulous star architects. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, I got to work at SOM on these like billion dollar projects. Uh, then I went to like pretty great firm here in Winnipeg working on big things. 
And uh, here I am now, um, you know, fixing a boiler room at the, you know, the bottom of a building in the basement. And so, you know, thinking that uh, things are going to, you know, you're going to incrementally uh, get bigger and bigger and grow. But that patient, that there's a little self-doubt that kind of seeps back in saying like, well, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm seeing on LinkedIn, you know, people who kind of stuck around where I was and they like got promoted and, or they, you know, they went and they're like, you know, director of design at W hotels or whatever. I'm just kind of making this up. There's some like, equipment. It's like well, you know, my, am, am I doing the right thing here? And so, uh, I, I think, uh, like when you're comfortable, you know, doing what you're doing and you realize that actually this has nothing to do with what other people are doing or how um, how you perceive others to be doing um actually it's all internal like i can actually be super satisfied doing something and then and then realizing that you know well i actually did grow this thing well i actually did do something a little bit bigger right so the it's like the the most difficult part is basically part of the best part too and and then sort of understanding i think that that those two things are like linked um then makes it a lot easier to to be just positive and to cheer yourself on uh, so so it's kind of like the uh you know like man against nature uh you know man against man and man against himself like those you know from english class back in grade seven uh, i'm sure that's politically incorrect now right like the three types of conflict um i think for me it was kind of like man against himself like you know you're, you realize that uh, you're actually you're actually your own best friend and, and not your biggest critic and, and, and then once once you get that under control I think then it, like the sky's the limit mm-hmm. and, and now I feel like the sky is the limit it's like you know just, I can do anything yeah, yeah I, I've uh, it's it's a huge jump from when when you're working for somebody and you're doing massive projects to working for yourself and doing something one tenth of the size yeah working for your that one project because not only could you be you know financing it Mm -hmm. uh you know responsible for everything yeah you know know there's absolutely zero lifelines there yeah and that one project will create so much growth in you yeah way more than this Absolutely. You know, the 10th big project that you've ever done here. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and not to say that, you know, um, uh, guys out there, people out there who, you know, are, are working for others like that, that is like, that is super, you know, everything is equally important, right? Like one isn't better than the other. Um, there's superstars out there. Yeah. They do like, um, they do incredible work. Yeah, and then they become part of the team, right? Yeah. Uh, but you're you're absolutely freaking right. Like when, when you own it and the buck stops at you, uh, yeah, you're you're your own lifeline. But I think you're weird, yeah. and I think I'm. You weird. think I'm weird? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm. Weird. I, I think I'm weird. So that's I. I, yeah, I think I'm legitimately crazy. Uh-huh. Um, to do and make some of the decisions that you make, right? Um, or that, that all of us business owners kind of make, like, Mm -hmm. it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, what made you first want to become an architect? Ah, um, I, I think I knew, uh, I wanted to be one before I could 
sort of uh, vocalize it. So my my mom um, traveled to Greece a bunch of times uh, when I was a little kid, and uh, the, my mom's whole side of the family is there, and so there's few. I think I, you know, by the time I was like eight, I'd gone there like three or four times. Uh, and so this trip I went to with my mom when I was eight, uh, is with my brother and my sister. Uh, she took us to a whole bunch of sites. So my mom's from, um, sorry, this is, I'm giving you a long-winded answer. So just kind of tell me to cut to the chase whenever you want, Dan. <laughs> I think it's great. So uh, lots of ancient sites. So she's from uh, a town called Epidavros or Epidorus. Uh, Epidavros. Uh, which has this ancient theater that seats 14,000 people and it's like 2,000 years old. It's just like phenomenal, right? Okay. So, you know, took me to this place, took me to like Mycenae. We're like in Agamemnon's tomb. I was like, this is freaking cool. It's like king from like the Trojan War or whatever. We're in this, we're basically in this like hollowed out pyramid that's underground with like, you know, these like tunnels and uh, light wells and stuff. And then, um, and then we end up going to Istanbul and we were like in Hagia Sophia and it's like, frick, like, this is so cool. And I, I always loved art and I always loved history. And I just like, th those were kind of, you know, my, my dearest subjects. Um, and then I also really like public speaking and I like drama. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, drama, architecture, public speaking, art history and so I actually had a cousin uh, another cousin my cousin uh, Sarando who lives in Vancouver like literally he was uh, I think he was just randomly at like a family dinner once and he's like uh, I, I think I told him like I'm thinking about going into architecture and he goes I think that would really suit you I mean you're an artist you love history uh, you know you'd probably be really good at business and I was like I never really thought about architecture like that, that it, you know, had those facets. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so that was kind of like, uh, so he helped me in that aha moment. I actually applied for fine arts at the U of M. Mm -hmm. I remember dragging these giant, like, paintings and uh, pastel drawings uh, into one of the buildings. I got accepted, and um, and I just, I didn't sort of fill out the registration. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do architecture instead of this. So I very close, it was kind of like a last minute decision to not go into fine arts. I might've ended up back in the same place anyway. Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I feel it's a, it's a, it's, it's a different set of skills that yeah. used appropriately <laughs> or passionately. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to bring you back to what you enjoy doing. Yeah. So I used to do drawings and uh, my, uh, my my dad would frame them at the restaurant and they were like all around and I painted a mural and I'd like sell like paintings and drawings and stuff. So, nice. Yeah. And my art teacher, I remember uh, Miss Riller, she just, you know, she encouraged me like, you, you should, you should be an artist. And I remember, I, I said something stupid. I was like, I don't want to live in a trailer, you know? It's just, you kind of like relying on stereotype I mm -hmm. thought about, you know, when I was like 13 years old or 14 years old. So. Yeah. She's like, I don't live in a trailer. I live yeah. under a bridge. Yeah. I, like, I didn't realize how insulting that might have sounded, right? But now as a, you know, 42 year old adult, uh -huh. uh, yeah, I, I, I would have done it differently, but that, that, that's life. Very fair. Very yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, what do you think that, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people don't know what an architect does. What do you wish that most more people knew about architects. Hmm. What do I wish that more people knew about architects? I would say um, 
I guess back to that first point I made that the, all the sort of miscellanea, the, the, it's, it's funny, there's a, a jobs out there called, you know, project manager, right? And, and it's funny because like, um, an, an architect basically is the epitome of a project manager. You, you're managing um, work, you know, across all aspects and you're creating stuff at the same time. So like an architect is like a project manager plus a creator. Uh, and, and not only that, uh, so like architects take care of like project accounting uh, during construction. We, you know, we go on site and we, um, we review contractor invoices. Most people don't know that we do that in most cases mm -hmm. and verify that, you know, what's been invoiced actually makes sense relative to, to the contract and what's on site. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that we have this power, depending on the contract we use, uh, to, you know, certify or reject an invoice, right? People are like, I didn't know you did that. Um, we, do, uh, we do a lot of paperwork during construction. So we don't just kind of, you know, draw something and then walk away from it. Uh, we draw stuff, but not just draw stuff, because the, the drawing is basically just like the fossil of all the conversations, all the research, all the like hooing and hawing, uh, and not just the architect hooing and hawing, the uh, uh, clients, stakeholders, uh, the city, the municipality, like everybody kind of has a say, things come in uh, into these documents that are like instructions for building. Mm -hmm. But then when they go out, uh, you know, if we're working in part three of the building code, which most architects live in, uh, we own it. And, and not only do we own it, we, um, we're, we're responsible for it. We're, we're responsible for making sure that this DNA that we programmed actually um, makes its way into the world as as we created it. So, uh, so we've got to, you know why and, and you know we, we can't we can't inspect uh, you know every little bit of the project right because the, the human uh, and we're not supposed to either use the word inspection. We're just supposed to observe. Um, but not only that, I think an important thing that most people don't realize is um, how we connect to the other professionals who work on a job. So uh, some people are confused, like, well, what, is, what does an engineer do? Well, can't an engineer do that? I mean, I haven't heard that one for a long time, but um, uh, most people who haven't done like a job that involves an architect don't realize that, uh, okay, there's the architect, like in our case, there's some staff at the office, but We've got a mechanical engineer too. There might be a couple guys there, a couple people there. Uh, electrical consultant, consultants, structural consultant, consultants, civil engineer for all like the underground, like gas, water, sewer, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you might have a landscape consultant. Okay, and then maybe you've got like a specialized project and you, uh, you actually need like an acoustic consultant. You know, there might be like a specialty person. There might be a quantity surveyor. A quantity surveyor who kind of is helping you price the job and create reports so that you don't you know have a giant surprise by the time you're done right so and then the architect is that person or collection of people that actually manage all of those different groups of people and are actually checking everything against everything and making sure you know that the that the electrical design you know you know plugs like in windows you know that that might happen or or that ducts fit or that you know like beams there's like enough clearance under them and so the thing so you're kind of like in this this miscellaneous zone 
-hmm. And it's really weird because um, there are too many different sort of parts of the brain that get used on a project. So there's like this introverted thinker researcher who's making sure that something's like specified properly. But then there's like, you got to have somebody who's like really yappy to just like ask all these questions and, and kind of move the conversation along quickly to get the information quickly. You know? uh, so, uh, and, and then somebody who can, you know, manage you know, sometimes people's emotions. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes there's conflict between all these people or sometimes there's not necessarily conflict, but just professional disagreement as to what standard applies and what's, what's good and what's bad. So there's like, <laughs> So it's kind of like, so like structural engineering is like really specific. Mechanical engineering is like really specific. Electrical engineering is really specific. Mm -hmm. And then like civil engineering and landscape. So it's kind of like when you pull all of those parts out, everything that's left is architecture. Mm. It's like anything that doesn't fit like in a really easily defined bucket yeah. is architecture. Interesting. I've never heard it described that way. Yeah, and it's like really broad. Okay. <laughs> so in your in your in your firm, um, what is something that you believe that would go against kind of the the norm of the industry? Hmm. What do we do that's uh, against the? I'm gonna have to take a bathroom break then. <laughs> <laughs> you totally can. <laughs> I mean, it's when I look at. Um, so when I look at building, yeah. right? When I look at residential building, which is what, what I do, um, I don't agree with a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with 95% of the, the homes that are built here, right? Um, and, and I've built my, my company kind of to be the anti or the antithesis of um, what I've been seeing and what I don't like. Mm -hmm. So... You know, when you started Amphora, clearly there's, you know, uh, either whether it's value driven, you talked about ethics in here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that it's, it's just like every profession, yeah. right? There's, there's people that do it and then there's all of those people within there that, that do something different. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I, I I can't say that, uh, you know, I, I've got like a easily digestible sentence. Um, as you can probably guess by all my like verbose answers to your like really simple questions. Um, but I would say it's a combination. Like what, what makes us different is um, we really, I really deeply and we really deeply care about doing what's best for the client in that specific situation. So, uh, and the crazy, you know, it sounds really goofy and cliche, but you actually need to find out what's important to, to your client and what they're trying to achieve because sometimes, which isn't always easy. No. And, and sometimes people think that they know what that is, mm -hmm. uh, right off the bat. And sometimes you think you know what that is right off the bat. And it's, it's kind of like getting to know somebody, um, you know, like somebody might interview really well or poorly, uh, you know, but then maybe, um, or, you know, you might have a couple of gut instinct feelings and those are often kind of right. Yep. Um, but 
if you kind of, if you listen over and over and kind of go over the same thing, like you, once you're sure about what they want, then you can kind of tailor your service to them in a way that's most valuable to them. And then sometimes they, um, they don't know what they need too. Right. So, uh, so I, I guess to summarize, <laughs> it's like kind of understanding, understanding the project's parameters, like understanding like what's good for them, uh, what's good for the project, what the priorities are like, just, uh, just kind of solving all of that stuff is like really like at the core of doing something beautiful and then making it beautiful. Right. And that's kind of the thing. And it's like, if you can do all that and then make it like look really beautiful and like perform well, then, then you're a good architect. Uh, and, and there isn't like one correct answer. That's the cool thing about it. Like there's a multiverse out there. Like you could probably have a billion beautiful, elegant, well-functioning, appropriate solutions. And they're not easy to get at. Right. So, and, and just the fact that like every project's unique, um, you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to re-challenge your brain each time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I guess we're not like a cookie cutter firm. Uh, we don't do like one specific kind of work. We, we do get repeat work in, in certain areas, um, but it's that like intellectual challenge and that uh, communication back and forth and, and understanding what people want and what they need. Yeah. Um, that's so. Is there, is it, is it ever hard? Um, I've, I've heard stories and I've talked, you know, when, when people either talk about architects or they, you know, they'll talk about experiences or something like that, um, about the difference between kind of a, a client driven project and an and a architect driven project mm-hmm. as far as where the design comes in. So yeah. is, it, is there ever times when, you know, you're, you're doing something that you yourself wouldn't do, but you know, it is actually best for the client and it's what they want or how do you, how do you deal with that situation yeah. where, where you're, you're designing something and you're just like, mm. yeah. Because so, it, it, so, it is an art. Right? So, so when you get that, you know that you're not doing your best work when you're doing your, okay. and so I think, uh, like at the beginning, right? Like, especially when you're like working somewhere and you're junior or even like out on your own at the beginning, you just kind of take everything that comes at you as like sacred. And it's like, well, this is what they want. This is what I got to do. Uh, and, um, I think the maturity comes where you're like, okay, this is what they're saying. This is what they want, but I'm going to challenge them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put stuff out there and I'm going to get their reaction. Uh, and I think that's a really beautiful, um, way of communicating as an architect where, cause sometimes you don't really have enough to go off of. So you just kind of, you just start putting things out there and you, and you see how people feel and you see how they talk and, and you find that common ground. So, uh, so I would say no, like I, I would never ever uh, do something for somebody that I wouldn't do for myself. Mm-hmm. That would, I, I would feel like I was doing a bad job. Right. Uh, and, and I think that that's why they come to us. That's why, um, that's why clients are attracted to the kind of work that we do, uh, are coming to an architect in the first place is, uh, they want something good, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they, 
they should be able to trust you. Now, if you're if you're working with somebody who like you know doesn't give a crap about you know what you're putting out there and what you know and they don't respect um, you know uh, where you're trying to move the thing, then you know maybe you're not a good fit for each other, yeah. and, and that's okay too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I know that a lot of architects. There's a. It seems like that the commercial industry is a lot more prone to be architect driven. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in, in Winnipeg or through my experience. Um, but, you know, dealing with the differences between commercial and residential. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, multi, multi-part question. Yeah. How much uh, residential do you do compared to commercial? And can you take us through the big differences between the two? Okay. Um, so uh, overwhelmingly, uh, our work is commercial, and, and commercial is kind of a funny term because it sort of includes like dozens of types. And uh, so, do you, do you mean commercial? I guess like it would be certain things not residential. Okay. And and so by residential, do you mean like single family house, or do you mean right. like uh, you know fifty unit apartment building? Is that still residential for you? I, I would say some of the some of the bigger projects then turn commercial, right? And yeah. Any time where you're jumping into part three. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I would say you know like the vast, 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 vast majority of what we do is part three, mm-hmm. um, and so, which is an interesting thing because, a lot of people, uh, well, everybody, everybody lives somewhere. Right. And in Winnipeg, most people live in like a part nine building. So for your listeners, uh, part nine is defined as like a small building. Uh, so like most houses, uh, generally speaking, so, you know, there's all kinds of exceptions in here. Generally speaking, stuff under 6,000 square feet in footprint is a like part nine building. So uh, most houses, you know, never, don't don't grow past that, at least in terms of footprint. Right. So. Um, I would say though, like, so the part nine stuff, the residential, uh, can be really fulfilling because that's where it gets really personal. Uh, and, uh, everybody, everybody knows what a good bathroom is and what a good kitchen is and what like a beautiful house looks like, even, you know, there's multiple iterations of that, but that's something that everybody can connect to. It just it's just so basic to the human experience that that can be like a really satisfying type of work to do because it's just so universal, and every anybody can just dive right into it. Um, and then with uh, with commercial projects, I mean, man, like so many different kinds. It's like yeah, and so many different kinds of clients like within the, uh, those different zones. It's just uh, I can't. I guess there's probably you can't generalize. There's probably a massive difference between private sector and and public, though. Uh, like yeah. Through the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Public sector typically um, it has more steps, more, more bureaucratic. Often, uh, you, you're probably getting like your drawings like reviewed by like multiple groups of people, mm-hmm. kind of like, correcting your work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that happens a lot. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. Private sector usually is driven by speed, right? So. We gotta move in by this date, whatever. A lease is about to be signed, or was signed, or whatever. And there's all kinds of pressure to just like push stuff out quickly. So the challenge, often with commercial projects, especially tenant fit ups, yeah. is um, doing a really great job under time pressure. Mm. Uh, public sector is often like. 
doing a really great job without like kind of falling asleep uh, as you like wait for like the next kind of approvals to come back. Mm -hmm. Can imagine. <laughs> um, now this is uh, this is a very selfish question. Yeah. What do you find, uh, whether it's in in commercial, residential, and and all of the above, mm -hmm. um, the contractors that that you're working with? Tell me what kind of makes uh, make or breaks uh, relationships and the projects themselves, yeah. and uh, where can somebody support architects uh, best? With the contractors. While working with them, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's all communication. It's, um, it's about, like the best relationships that we've had with contractors have been where you're working on the same team, right? Because everybody's working towards the same goal, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to do a good job. Uh, we hope. We hope. We hope, everyone, we hope <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone yeah, wants. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just kind of like an attitude thing at the beginning, right? To just like, you know, just feel like you're supporting each other. Yeah. Um, so you're asking like, what can you do to support each other? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like in the rest of the business world, right? Like don't write nasty emails to people. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's very uh, fair. Uh, and, and I'm I'm guilty of like I I've made every every possible error, and I'm trying to you know continually improve and, and figure out. I've gotten like maybe just like a smidge wise in the process, but it's like uh, I, I think once you understand that you're all you're all on the same team, um, uh, that that helps a lot. Uh, being able to talk to people on the phone is like really important, like really really important. Uh, I I just um, you know, I, we've all experienced it, and in our field, it can it can get intense too. Where uh, an email starts coming in, and it's got like you know three pages of information. And it's like so you know, and it's full of, like different questions and stuff. And it's like whoa, 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 whoa hang on a second, you know. So, and, and sometimes you'll have you know, um, you know, situations where some people might expect everything to be in writing, right? Like everything's got to be in writing, and that like process of you know thinking has to be in writing and it can be so counterproductive and so time consuming uh, i've just been in so many situations and i think this is a value add that that we bring right just going back to the chatting and talking and mm -hmm. understanding like you could have like a pretty intense phone call and go through stuff and and have somebody say oh well, i didn't think about it that way or, or what about that you know and you kind of miss that with email mm -hmm. so if uh, if an architect works with a contractor or vice versa, and you're able to kind of chat about stuff, uh, I think that's where you start realizing some really cool efficiencies and where you come up with really great solutions to things that come up on site, mm -hmm. uh, and, and and you realize that you're on the same team. Yeah. So like I guess those those are the key pieces, and then that support goes both ways too, right? Like yeah. The architect should be able to. Uh, call the contractor and, and have like a you know friendly yet candid conversation with them. Yep, I've gotten in trouble a lot because I like to I, I like to be on the phone. Yeah, I like to talk to people. Yeah, like this. Yeah, and and even on the phone, I want to hear how people are saying things. That's so, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, what I've been really horrible at, and what my assistant is really good at, is taking notes. Uh -huh. uh, but also that whole like. After the phone call, yeah, 
kind of debriefing the summary hey yeah. here's what we talked about yeah, or yeah. am i correct in, in yeah say, yeah i'm horrible yeah yeah that's where you delegate <laughs> yes or yes. or <laughs> or maybe the phone call the phone call might be 10 or 15 minutes but you might solve one thing in it mm -hmm. so then the email might be really straightforward right, right yeah. yeah you know we talked about this so we both agree blank yeah that's it yeah. you know uh, that's everybody's fear, right? That you might, somebody might go back to the record and, you know, like, you know, the only thing that matters is what you wrote down and clearly what you're writing down is important. Um, but do you really need to write every single thing down? Right. And that's, that's, I, th I think that highlights your point about the people and relationships. Um, going back to pretty much the start is that how you deal with people and the relationships that you develop and you know yeah that's really we always tell people that there's gonna go there's gonna be things that go wrong yeah it just happens it's, it's impossible nature, for it to not right? happen yeah. we're, we're imperfect yeah. beings expecting things to be perfect intelligent monkeys who wear clothes yeah uh, and use computers we're not far off right <laughs> and so you know our whatever it is Anyone can have a bad day. Yeah. Anyone can have a fight with their husband or wife. Yeah. Anyone can have, you know, very little sleep because they have young kids and they're not on their game or yeah. whatever it is. Um, but it's the people that we want uh, on our team when things go wrong, mm -hmm. right? When shit hits the fan, who do we want to be next to? Who do yeah. we want on our team? Yeah. I think that the thing, um, the first time I heard about IPD or integrated project delivery to me was just, I almost thought like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Why, why doesn't everyone do it like that? Like why, why wouldn't we mm -hmm. care about what this person thinks mm -hmm. and this person thinks before we finish either designing or building, mm -hmm. you know, the entire thing. So when we started, we legitimately crafted everything around integrated project delivery, just so that we can bring people in, mm -hmm. uh, consultations huge, right? And just whether, whether it's, yeah, no, that's good, or yeah, everything's good, but I change this, you know, or no, that's horrible. <laughs> That'll never work, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, that, that was a big one for, for me when we were, we were creating the back end. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned um, learning a lot when you, when you started working for number 10. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any things that you would consider mentors as far as books, uh, professors, people you work with, actual people, you know, yeah. what, uh, what has helped shape you, um, whether it's in architecture or just life in general? Yeah. Yeah. The, there, there's been a bunch of people, um, along the way, kind of too many, uh, to mention. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump into, uh, my, my old office. Um, I, I worked with, um, an amazing guy. He, he's, he's left us now, uh, Ron Basrab, who, uh, you know, anyone who knew Ron, uh, just knew that he was, he was a one of a kind guy. Uh, and, and Ron was, um, was very, very human. He's kind of like a very emotional guy, a very brilliant guy, really creative. You get excited about stuff, and uh, and you kind of knew like when Ron got excited about stuff, uh, like it was good, and you felt that it was good, and, and you also felt when things were like not good uh, with him. But uh, I felt like um, 
you know, Ron was, um, he was like a teacher, you know, like I was in my mid twenties and, uh, he, uh, he, he, he helped me, you know, be my best version of myself, I think as a designer, um, because of the, um, because of the encouragement, right? Like young professionals, they're, they're, they're looking up, uh, to the senior guys to, you know, um, just, you know, feel the feedback. Like you, you kind of, you, you've got no reference point or whatever. And, uh, and this guy just kept things like really real and it was great. It was, um, he was just like a fantastic teacher and, and it was like, it was okay that, uh, he was, I guess I was drawn to him, um, because, uh, a guy like that was really good at what he did and he didn't pretend to be a certain way, like didn't pretend to, you know, sound like an architect. I thought that was awesome. Uh, I've got another mentor who, um, who, who stood behind me, uh, uh, in Minneapolis when I was growing up, uh, Dean Davoulis, who's, uh, he's an architect out there who founded a firm on his own, um, back in the eighties, you know, with like three guys, he's grown it to like 50 people now, uh, just an incredibly successful, brilliant guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, so I had, I had him around for a little bit, um, you know, just talking to a young kid about, you know, the ropes and architecture in a way that I think, uh, some older people just, you know, wouldn't have the patience to, or just, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't care enough, uh, to. So, uh, there's few people like that in my life who you know, I was blessed to bump into. Yeah. And, go ahead. Yeah. And, and be nourished by, yeah. Um, where do you have to go or, or what's your process to deal with, uh, when things aren't going your way? When things aren't going well, uh-huh. how do you deal with that? Um, so many ways things can't go well, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so every, uh, day is, every day is a Monday. Yeah, so, yeah. So no, it's not like that. Uh, I think it's important to have good people around you. Um, I've got um, I've got a solid partner, uh, Marianne, who uh, my my wife, uh, who's trained as an engineer, uh, so we speak the same language, and uh, in in many ways, um, her thinking is kind of opposite to mine, and it's kind of like it's just an amazing thing sometimes. Where in what way that you're uh, more creative, she's more actually numbered she's smart she's really smart uh and uh, very patient and kind of you know sits and, and and thinks uh about stuff before she blurts it out like i'm kind of the opposite i'll sort of think it as it's coming out and she does so um I think she's helped me through a lot of situations where first off it's like, well, hang on a second. Uh, I wouldn't have interpreted what you thought that was as blank. Right. So, uh, and that's been very helpful. So I think it could be easy to live in a bubble and, uh, you know, just have people like you around you and, and go off, you know, in a certain direction. And the more kind of like, 
sort of layers of perspectives you can have available to you just just makes you smarter, uh, makes you respond and react to things more intelligently. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's that's important. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in short, I just cry to my wife when something goes wrong and she fixes it. Mm-hmm. I'm really right there with you. <laughs> Not far off at all. And then she'll say the most simple thing. Yeah. The most simple thing. Well, did you tell them this? Yeah. And I'm like, how could they not think that? That's right. She's like, yeah, but did you tell them that? Okay. <laughs> Text them. Problem solved. Exactly. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I love the I love the, the perspective shift. And actually being being aware and open, right, to that. Right. And and, and taking that kind of I wouldn't say criticism, but yeah. you know, just different perspective shifts is, is really huge. Yeah, and then, and then to be able to train yourself to kind of have that voice inside of you too, right? To like, so so maybe maybe next time you don't have to like blurt everything out to to somebody else, like you know. So you, you kind of learn to be more resilient on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a uh, huge shift here. Yeah, favorite restaurant in Winnipeg. Oh man. Um, Oh, it's too many. Uh, I can do top three. Do top three? Yeah, then at least... So many, so many at, categories. Then at least you won't, uh, you won't gonna, feel like you're neglecting. I'm going to offend so many people because <laughs> so many uh, they don't friends and families like, own restaurants <laughs> and like, have, you know what I mean? There's, I, you know what, I'll have a pass button. I'll yeah, get one okay. of those red yeah, pass I'll do buttons. Yeah, I'm out. yeah. Um, so you got out of Winnipeg. Yeah. You got yeah. brought back to Winnipeg. Yeah, I brought myself back, yeah. But why did you stay in Winnipeg? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why did I stay? I think it was, uh, like I said earlier, that realization that things were like really comfortable here. Uh, and, and I don't mean like comfortable in like a lazy way. Yeah. Uh, comfortable in like a, wow. Like, like a life is great way. Like a life is great <laughs> yeah. way. Like. Yeah. I'm on a freaking like bicycle um, with uh, my soon-to-be fiance, you know, going down the road, enjoying ourselves at like, you know, seven o'clock in the evening, uh, you know, having ice cream and thinking about stuff and visiting places and and not uh, eating uh, dinner at my desk. Uh, Because I was doing a lot of that at Mm -hmm. some point. Uh, it was kind of like every other night um, eating dinner like in the office and, and then when you party you party like really hard and then you kind of like came back and whatever so um, so I think that that giant shift for me I mean it was kind of it was kind of hard too that shift because it was like hitting the brakes after going like really 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 fast um, so but realizing that um, there's like a different way to like live uh that was more peaceful and enjoyable. Yeah. I think it just kept me here. Yeah. And I always had Winnipeg in my heart. Like I always, you know, I, I had this, you know, speaking of delusions of grandeur, I remember thinking, wow, what if I, you know, what if I come back to Winnipeg and, and, and found an, an office that does architecture and uh, it's like internationally renowned. I mean, Rem Coolhouse did it. He's, he's in Rotterdam. Rotterdam's a dump. Like Winnipeg's so much better than Rotterdam. Right? And so, 
uh, I always kind of had this like little mythology inside of me that I was going to come back, you know, and like do great things, uh, you know, where I came from. And, and my family was here too, so that was like, a huge draw. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you notice anything in Winnipeg? Do you, do you notice any trends architecturally in Winnipeg that are either never going away, mm-hmm. I guess you can't really call that a trend, or stuff that's that's newer and, and that you're seeing more of, or you're, you have people asking more about it, or? I would say um, in, in Winnipeg right now, uh, like just generally speaking, I'll just make a general comment, I won't exactly answer that question sure. right now. Uh, I've seen a lot of good design, like what I would say, uh, like even 10 years ago, maybe, uh, and, and definitely before that, that there's, there, there are a lot of young practices in Winnipeg. Uh, and I think that's a lot a uh, function of, uh, the exam, um, uh, regime for getting licensed in Canada, like that change. I'm sure I'm saying all kinds of stuff. I'm not allowed to be talking about publicly or whatever, but that's my opinion. I, I wrote the American exams and carbs, which uh, were really hard to pass. Uh, and so there weren't really that many young architects or young firms at the time. And um, by the time I finished my last exam, uh, these new exams came in and a lot of younger people got licensed as architects Interesting. Okay. Uh, and a lot of new firms opened up. Uh, so there's a lot of competition, but <laughs> uh, it was actually, I think it was a really good thing. Because there's a lot of um, younger people leading practice. So to kind of say, like, you know, there, there's like a trend of something. I would, I would say the trend is that there is a trend of being on trend in Winnipeg, which is not, that was never the case. Uh, at least I didn't think it was the case when I was an architecture student. Um, or even, you know, when I was uh, working, uh, you know, in, in New York, we didn't have a freaking Ikea. Not to say that that's, you know, like a gold standard of design, but there was uh, a lot of um, uh, design literacy, I think, uh, like on a mainstream level that might have been, you know, not so strong. And uh, it's come a really long way to the point that y- you see most new things going up here interesting in some way. So it has that for a really good non-answer. You nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Crushed it. Is there anything in the industry that absolutely just kills you? Good good kill or bad, bad kill. Bad kill. That you that that you see over and over that it just doesn't jive with yeah. you. Uh that's funny. Uh it's funny because I, I had a couple of pet peeves and then we started doing it ourselves so that I, you know. <laughs> well, it can't be pet peeves anymore, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I remember uh, seeing like just so much, uh, you know, like corrugated metal siding on like, you know, like, which should be like really expensive public buildings uh, here. And it's like, man, it's like, this really is a farm town. Um, you know, you don't see this stuff uh, in, in, in other places as much. Uh, and, and then, and then, you know, you start doing it yourself and you're like, actually, this is kind of cool. <laughs> I appreciate this. Yeah, I'll yeah. be part of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the things that absolutely kill me. So you're asking me to criticize now. So I have to be like really careful. It doesn't it. even have to be, yeah. uh, other architects work. Like, it's, yeah. it's not yeah. just saying yeah. kind of in your, yeah. in, in our, in our house. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what, what kills me. 
what kills me is um, yeah, I got I gotta be careful about this. <laughs> This is, be, this is going to be the email after. Okay. Yeah. I have one hour or something. And yeah. We can cut it up. Well, how about this? Um, your, you knew you were coming on the show. Yeah. Is there anything that... Why didn't you prepare more for this? Is there anything that you hoped I would ask you that I haven't asked you? Uh, no, not really. You? Yeah. You know what? I, I literally... I apologize. I really came into this very impromptu. This uh, is great. Yeah. Because it's more, it's more real. Like I, yeah. I, I don't send out questions to people, yeah, yeah. right? Because I, I want you to be real. I want you to think things through. Like I don't expect people to have all the answers, right? Like, well, you know what's gonna happen, right? I'm gonna go to bed at night. I'm gonna have the best it. answers for you, <laughs> like ever. I think you did because <laughs> you go, you go from your gut, right? And, and and you said it. Usually, the first gut feelings are the correct ones. So. Um, listen, I'm, I'm, I'll be respectful of your time here. Cause I think that we could probably go on and on actually. And I think you've got a lot more in there that I, that I haven't touched. Um, but I, I really enjoy, uh, I've enjoyed our talks. I enjoy, um, your view on things and especially, um, you know, client focused, um, their journey. Uh, you mentioned the feelings involved, which which uh, working in residential is all feelings yeah. with the client. Oh yeah, and so I, I really appreciate that. Um, we've never worked together yet, but I'm 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 looking forward to the day. I would love that. It. And uh, you are absolutely welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. Hope your viewership doesn't plummet after this interview, uh, Dan. When it goes from three to two, I mean, <laughs> hey, I'm really not too concerned. <laughs> All right, well, but thanks so much for being here. I, I'm honored that you asked me to come on the show, so thank you so much. You're very welcome. Okay.